after only a brief look at God as our creator, which is a declarative attribute of his, he created so that we can know him. He says the heavens declare his glory and the firmament showeth his handiwork. He says that he made the truth understood, known, and manifest that there was a Godhead with eternal power. We stand amazed that God actually did disclose so much. When you think of ants and conies, when you think of lions and greyhounds, when you think of salt and ostriches, when you think of whirlwinds and all that the Bible describes, He has disclosed a lot about Himself. There's the delicacy of flowers, there's their beauty, there's feathers and wings that don't work, but they certainly are beautiful to look upon. And there's wisdom in that. That means God delights sometimes in things that are just beautiful, that aren't very utilitarian. I am a practical person. I want something to work or it's not worth the money, usually. I was so bad at that once that uh, that included a a wedding. Anyway, let's not even go there. You know, it needs to be practical. But the Lord said, a peacock has goodly feathers and wings. And we, we go and look at them for that. And all the things the Lord has made, He is such a tender Father to make things for our pleasure, to make things for our learning, that we can learn by object lessons. Instead of just beating us, instead of pounding it into us, go to the ant. If you'll think of everything we covered and the spectrum, it shows what kind of a father he is. He is the best father. He calls us evil fathers. And he says, if ye, being evil fathers, know how to give good gifts, how much more do I know how to give and do for my children? And he shows it partly in creation. And he has shown us a great deal by his creation. I want you to look now with me for a moment at the attribute of God that he is knowable. When we look at the first 10 or 12 inherent attributes of God, he's incomprehensible, he's infinite, he's eternal, and these are concepts we can't grasp very well at all. In fact, he's, his greatness is unsearchable, the Bible tells us. He, he can't be found out, the Bible tells us. And yet, he wants us to know him. And so I want to take just a few verses and remind us that we can know God. Look at Exodus chapter 33. The infinite God can be known by finite men. The independent God can be known by His dependent creatures. The invisible God can be seen in various ways, by words in particular, by us. The the incomprehensible one can be known, wants to be known, and gave us means to know Him. Here's two men... And I want you to figure out if you like either of them. Exodus 33. You read Exodus 3 last night when the Lord Jehovah appeared to Moses at the burning bush. Here we have Moses again in the 11th verse of Exodus 33. And the Lord, that's in all caps, thousands of times in your Bibles, about 6,519 if you want a number. That the Lord wants you to know He is Jehovah, I am that I am. Four times we get the word Jehovah 
Psalm 83, Isaiah 12, Isaiah 26, Exodus chapter 6, and we get the shortened version, Jah, in Psalm 68. Five occurrences, but there's 6,519 more that your translators remind you of with the all caps in the word Lord. If it's small letters, Lord, it's the Hebrew Adonai that means the, the ruler, governor of his creation, and we are his servants. But when it's the caps, it's Jehovah. And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face, as a man speaketh unto his friend. And that's a period, and we should stop and just think about the privilege that Moses had to know God on such a basis. Remember their introduction, according to Exodus 6, is God telling Moses, encouraging him to go back to Egypt, I was known to your father Abraham as the Lord God Almighty. I was not known to him by my name Jehovah. So Moses was more privileged to know God than Abraham was. But we're more privileged to know God than Moses was. Because we know his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we know that Jehovah has provided a Savior And it certainly wasn't part of the Ten Commandments or the Law of Moses that was brought down from Mount Sinai. We have come to a better mountain than Sinai and Horeb. They're the same place. I just want you to know the burning bush would later have a whole burning mountain when God descended upon that mountain. He encouraged Moses, if you were reading Exodus 3 carefully, I'm going to give you a sign. When you deliver my people out of Egypt, we're going to come back to this mountain But it wasn't a bush burning then. It was the whole thing, like a blast furnace. We know that the the name of Jesus and what it means, and if the Lord will be merciful in the few minutes we have, we'll get to that name. You've been taught it before, but we want to review it again because names are part of the declarative attributes of God because he gives away some of his traits and dealings and events with men by his names. But here's a man named Moses, face-to-face with God. God doesn't have a face. This is an expression for us to understand. It was personal. It was intimate. It was detailed. It was close. As a man, it's a simile, speaketh unto his friend. And he turned again into the camp. Moses went back with the rest of the Israelites, out of the tabernacle. But his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out of the tabernacle. I love old men, old women, and young women. In the Lord, with all purity as I should, but my favorite category is young men, because young men... God has assigned to lead families, lead wives, answer wives' questions, train children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And this is a young man that we want to have in our church. And we want all our young men to be like this in this church. Moses can go back. And though I normally follow Moses to do his bidding, and though I am ordinarily at his right hand to help him, I'm staying right here. I hope you read your Bibles carefully. And all you young men in this assembly, by what are you going to make yourself great in this world? 
This is real greatness. This is how a man distinguishes himself in the sight of God and men. We believe in a Christian work ethic, but we don't really care if you work hard or not in comparison to this. Make this your life. Moses goes back in to the camp, but Joshua, a young man, departed not out of the tabernacle. I am not going to leave something this good. I want to stay right here with the Lord. You can be that man. It doesn't take money. It doesn't take a grade point average. It doesn't take great basketball skills. It doesn't take anything. And I'm making, the, I'm making the introduction right now. Do you want to know that Lord? He can be your Lord. You can be that Joshua. Right. I wonder why you were named Joshua. Mm-hmm. And everyone in here that isn't named Joshua, you can be that man as well. Mm-hmm. You young men, distinguish yourselves as being great in the sight of the Lord by loving His presence and loving His worship and loving His word and loving His Son and loving His people and loving His kingdom. He can be known. He can be known as if it were face to face with a man, as it were friends talking to each other. He can be so obviously there in one place to be known that a young man even would not want to leave the place because he would want to know more about him. I want to, I'm just spending a few verses to show you this incomprehensible one can be known. Look at Isaiah 58. Isaiah 58. If I asked you, what Bible story has the words, here I am? Would you be thinking of Samuel being addressed by the Lord in First Samuel, the first couple chapters? Well, I'm, I want to go over this passage again with you because I don't want you to forget this one. We are dealing with the infinite God, the infinite creator, the incomprehensible one. His greatness is unsearchable. We cannot know all his ways. When we look at everything we know about creation, Job 26 and verse 14 tells us we only know part of his ways. This is the great God of heaven. When you humble yourself before him, young men, when you obey him and practice the righteousness that he describes in the Bible, it's not public church services altogether. He expects you to participate in his public worship, but there's more that he's looking for. He's looking for the real change in your life that involves your heart and your day-to-day actions towards your brothers, your sisters, your parents, your employers, your school teachers, and everything you do. He wants to see righteousness. And he describes that contrast in verses 3 through 7. Then he describes what he'll do for you If you seek him and know him and obey him that way. Verse 8. Then shall thy light break forth as the morning. Your life will explode with understanding and light upon it. And thine health shall spring forth speedily. You'll be in the best shape possible physically. And thy righteousness shall go before thee. The glory of the Lord shall be thy rearward. The Lord is going to be behind you. He's going to be in front of you. He is going to be showing your righteousness. And He is going to be defending you against your enemies front or back. That is a wonderful verse describing blessing. But I want the ninth verse. Then shalt thou call. Here's a young man named Joshua, the son of Nun, or one of you young men, 
Thou shalt call, and the Lord shall answer. And thou shalt cry, and he shall say, Here I am. Here I am. The God of heaven? Jehovah? The incomprehensible God? The infinite God? The burning bush God? The take thy shoes off thy feet, Moses, because you're standing on holy ground? Here I am. What a wonderful thing. You know, the world wants us to read books about Aladdin and his lamp. That if you rub the lamp, the genie comes out. I'll give you three wishes, but it's all a great big lie. There's no lamp, there's no genie, and there's no power. This is real. Young men, lay hold of it. When you go to work tomorrow as unto the Lord, the rest of this day with your parents, honor them, obey them. You parents, if you're older men, love your children. Show some mercy. Be peacemakers in your family. Practice real righteousness. That is real righteousness. It's not sitting in a pew and singing and listening to me. Real righteousness is going out of here and saying, I know the Lord, and the Lord and my knowledge of Him is going to affect everything I do. I will not speak harshly. I will not speak disrespectfully. I will not cut. I will be love. I will be peace. I will be gentle. I will be kind. I will be good. I will be meek. The fruit of the Spirit. And when you do that, you'll call upon God, and the God of heaven will say, At your service, here I am. Bless the Lord, O my soul. That is too much to read and too much to preach, but it's in the Bible, so I preach it. Look at Second Chronicles 12 with me. God is knowable. He's so knowable. If you call upon Him and you're living righteously, and you know that your righteousness will always be inferior to His, your righteousness will always be blotted with sins, He washes that all away with the blood of His Son. Amen. Just go boldly. Just confess your sins. David had so many sins. I recently sent you a list of all the sins that I know about David that are recorded in the Bible. It's more than most know about him. Most can only think of two or three when there's a list of eight to ten. But we still know that David was the man after God's own heart. God loved David and David loved God. They had a relationship that is that takes up more pages of Scripture than any other man in the Bible. So that was a close relationship. We want that. But David delighted in the Lord. If David couldn't build God a temple when God didn't even want a temple, that Second Samuel 7, he paid for it. Second Chronicles 12 and verse 14, this is David's grandson Rehoboam. This is Solomon's son. Look what it says about him. And he did evil. Second Chronicles 12, 14. Here's a young man that grew up and didn't pay attention to grandfather. Here's a young man that grew up and didn't pay attention to his father. He didn't read the Proverbs. He didn't practice wisdom. He did evil. Because he prepared not his heart to seek the Lord. What ruined him? He didn't seek the Lord. He didn't prepare his heart. I am going to make the Lord the chief goal of my life. All of you young men are sitting there right now. You are either thinking, I wish he'd hurry up and end so that I can go home. You're going to ruin your life. And God's going to laugh at you. And if you don't think he laughs at you, go read Proverbs chapter 1, verses 20 through 33. He's going to laugh at you when your calamity comes into your life. 
you have an opportunity right now because there's another man who's lived your life before you telling you, lay hold of this. Prepare your heart. That means, I will. I want to. Lord, that is my desire. That will be my desire. I will seek your face. Prepare your heart. Right while I'm preaching, I'm preparing mine. I don't like the sands of time running out. I wish I could go back and be 16 years old because I could do 39 years better than I did them. But I thank God through Jesus Christ, my Lord, that He washes away all my sins and lets me delight in Him at the age of 55. And I'll delight in Him at the age of 56 if He'll give me breath. But the only thing that matters is this right here. Are you preparing your heart to seek the Lord because He can be found? And He will be found when you seek Him with your whole heart. He's not very far from every one of us, Paul told the philosophers on Mars Hill. And He's especially close to us who believe. But to spend our life of belief after He's given us the grace and shown us about Himself by pursuing other things, it's foolish. Distinguish yourself with greatness. Real greatness. Delighting in the Lord. You say, does that involve a big house? No, you don't need a big house to distinguish yourself great in the sight of the Lord. Is it a high-paying job? No, it has nothing to do with that. You can do it right now. 14, do it right now. That is going to be the chief goal of my life when I'm 15, when I'm 16. That is what I'm going to seek after. I was a fool when I was 14. I should have been stoned to death. Chapter 19. Second Chronicles 19. Let's come down a couple more generations to another king. Jehoshaphat. Verse 3. Nevertheless, there are good things found in thee, and that thou hast taken away the groves out of the land, and hast prepared thine heart to seek God. And do you know what this is? This is the cycle of generations. There's a generation where a man sets his heart to seek God, like David. Then he has a son like Solomon, who marries a thousand women, and the outlandish women take his heart away from God. And that horrible example leaves Rehoboam less prepared than Solomon was prepared with David's polygamy. And so Rehoboam's life is a mess, but there's a God in heaven. And you know what? He never let the lamp of David go out because David delighted in the Lord. And if you want to do something for your family, older men, I'm speaking to you right now. If you want to do something for your family, then you delight in the Lord because the Lord will keep a candle lit in this world out of your loins. He has kept a candle lit for David, and David's son is sitting at this hour on the throne of heaven. He's Jesus of Nazareth. He's the son of David. He's known as the son of David, and God is not ashamed that his son is known as the son of David. I'm thankful that I have such a father. It's been a preserving, sanctifying effect in my life. I trust that I am such a father and grandfather to mine. I hope that my sons that are fathers will be such a sanctifying influence to theirs. And I hope everyone in this assembly understands what I'm talking about and delight in God. And the way that you delight in God includes Isaiah 58 where it talks about practical daily righteousness with wife, with children, with job, everything we do. Money matters, personal, social skills, courteousness, all those things that are part of godliness. We can all do them easily.
And they come easy when you put the Lord first. When He's the delight of your soul, to go make peace with someone else is so simple because all that really matters is your relationship with God. Look at the difference. There's great kings. There's David, there's Jehoshaphat, there's Hezekiah, and there's Josiah. Those are the four great kings of Judah. Here's Jehoshaphat. Now he made a mistake. He got too close to Ahab. And the Lord's rebuking him here in these first two verses, and it's pretty strong language in the second verse. But we like the neverthelesses in the Bible. And verse 3 says, Nevertheless, there are good things found in thee, in that thou hast taken away the groves out of the land. You did something hard. There was a precedent set by kings before you that had groves for idolatrous worship in Israel. But you were not afraid of tradition, and you were not afraid of public opinion. You went and got rid of them. And every dad I'm speaking to you, sometimes it's hard to say no to our children. I do know that. But godly fathers, for the glory of God, say no to their children to make sure that we do what is right, so that we are like Abraham as fathers. God said of Abraham, I know him, that he will command his household to keep the way of the Lord. We want to be fathers like that. And the Lord sees that, and that is part of preparing our hearts to seek God. We are not going to let sin in our homes. It's such an error of theology to focus on just the intrinsic attributes of God and miss Him. I don't want us to just study out words like omnipotence. I want us to know Him who is omnipotent and He is knowable and He wants us to know Him. Look at Deuteronomy 32.15. The difference between men in their delight in the Lord. The two greatest threats to us in the year 2012 as men are the are the perilous times of the last days as Christianity implodes around us, degenerating to a carnal, compromising, effeminate, worldly religion. That's 2 Timothy 3 and 4, and we've taught on that before. The other one is prosperity. Prosperity does not do people good. Promotions on the job do not make you a better Christian ordinarily. And that is a shame. You would think that God's goodness to lift up His people and promote them would cause greater thanksgiving and praise, but He has learned that it's not the way it works. And you should learn that it's not the way it works. So if God doesn't promote you, that doesn't mean anything from holding you back from delighting in Him. Because look at this verse. Deuteronomy 32.15, But Jeshurun, that's a nickname for Israel, but Jeshurun waxed fat, They were prospering and kicked. You know, when things are going too well, men get haughty. A fool filled with meat will show his foolishness. Jeshuan waxed fat and kicked. Thou art waxen fat. Thou art grown thick. Thou art covered with fatness. Then he forsook God, which made him, and lightly esteemed the rock of his salvation. Is there anyone in here that is preparing their heart to seek God like David that is able to say right now, give me food convenient for me. Don't make me rich. Don't make me poor. Never let me get in that condition where I would be prosperous and fat and forsake my God. I'll tell you, poverty and trouble will take you to your knees better than prosperity and pleasure. And we don't like it when it comes sometimes. 
And we better be very careful in the way we talk about it because there's a God listening to every word and He says He's in heaven, we're on earth, so let your words be few. But I'm going to tell you, if you need trouble in your life to get you back close to God, then you should tell the Lord, bring it on, but be merciful. David had a choice one time to fall into the hands of his enemies or to fall into the hands of the Lord. Do you remember what he chose? I'll take the hands of the Lord. What did it cost? 70,000 lives. But he would rather fall in the Lord's hands than anyone else's hands. These wicked men have turned away from the Lord. You know, we've looked at creation. I just briefly reminded you about the God's knowability. Let's look at Acts chapter 14 at another word that I want you to understand. Our fathers in the faith used it much more. Acts chapter 14, it's the word providence. The word providence means God's government of the universe for our benefit. God's involvement in our daily lives. God's working in the things around us, in your jobs, in your gardens, in your marriage, providing a spouse. The world sings God is watching from a distance, but God is very close. And He's involved in our lives, and that's His providence in the things that happen on a day-to-day basis. When the Apostle Paul was confronting idolaters in Acts chapter 14... He tells them the same things he told the Athenian philosophers. Verse 16, Who in times past suffered all nations to walk in their own ways. This God that made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and all things that are therein, verse 15, I hope you do appreciate how often Bible writers return to creation to establish the foundation of how we think. There is a creator God. That is why evolution is so horrible. It takes away the foundation of knowing God as creator. Because it's right there in verse 15. When the apostle, he doesn't quote scripture. He appeals to their knowledge. No one in the Bible ever dealt with an atheist. Because they're not worth dealing with. No one ever wasted a sentence on an atheist. They're not worthy of it. And a lot more could be said. I'll restrain myself. They belong where they're going. Let God deal with them. We can only deal with someone who has a modicum of faith. Because if a man doesn't have faith, then he is unreasonable and wicked, according to Second Thessalonians chapter 3, the first two verses. And how are you going to reason with a man that is unreasonable? Faith is reason. Faith is there's a creator God, and from that we reason. They reason from a vacuum. They reason from nothing, which means they end up reasoning from their own imagination. So they can make up anything. We don't cast our pearls before swine, nor do we give that which is holy unto dogs. In the Bible, it is assumed that men understood there was a creator. It's just assumed everywhere you turn. And that's mentioned in verse 15. Verse 16 is Paul mentioning that God had allowed this ignorance by the Gentile nations, but it was ending. Nevertheless, even though he allowed them during those years of Gentile ignorance, he left not himself without witness. So there is someone doing some witnessing for the Lord. In Romans 1 and Psalm 19, we had creation. 
Now we're getting providence. And that is not what God created in the beginning, like the sun and the different species of animals and salt, but what he does on a daily basis. Nevertheless, he left not himself without witness, in that he did good. God did good in the sight of all men. What is that goodness? And gave us rain from heaven. So rain is part of the providence of God. It happens on a, on a regular basis. And fruitful seasons, our harvests were full of produce, filling our hearts with food and gladness. And Paul's using our hearts, bringing in these pagans with him, that on a natural level, on this earth, under the sun, we're all treated the same way. God is good. And you know that little child's prayer, though praying rote prayers is wrong and foolish, because the Bible tells us so, God is great and God is good. Let us thank Him for our food right here. God is good. He gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness because of a good meal and the cupboards being full. It's a wonderful thing for a wife to have the cupboards full and the husband to have a covered table and to sit his family there and the the children can eat to their heart's content like we experience on Thanksgiving. We experience five times a day in between because we live in the land of plenty. This is what the Bible says. This is a witness of God. This is a declarative attribute. His providential goodness. He shows it. He witnesses. He teaches by rain coming down, plants coming up, us harvesting them, putting them on our tables, the, the big meal giving us the pleasure of eating. God's providence. This is the word of the Lord. This is how Paul would preach. This is what how Paul talked. Paul didn't quote John 3.16 to these guys. He starts out with creation and then starts progressing from that. God is good and His goodness ought to lead you to repentance that your idolatry is insanity. And with these sayings, scarce restrained they the people that they had not done sacrifice unto them. Matthew chapter 5 tells us that God sends His sunshine and His rain on the evil and the good. And you know, that's a witness and testimony of God's goodness even to His enemies. Because it doesn't take very long to realize that a lot of the people out there hate God. The Bible says in Psalm 10.4, God is not in all their thoughts. They never think about God. And yet, their yard, their farm, their grocery store that's the result of farms getting rain produces just like ours because he sends it on both. I see there two lessons. I see the testimony of God's goodness, but because Matthew 5 is written the way it is, it's a reminder to us, we can love our enemies. If he loves his enemies in this benevolent, general way of sending rain and sunshine upon them, then we can do kind things for those that despitefully use us. And that's what, how the argument's made, that we should be perfect, as the children of our Father which is in heaven is perfect. The way we show that we are the sons of God is to treat our personal enemies the way that God treats his personal enemies. Now, it doesn't say he saves them all. It just says he sends sunshine and rain on them as a further testimony that not only does he have a Godhead and eternal power and glory and handiwork, he's good. And that goodness should lead us to repentance. The Bible says that in Romans 2, the good, know, know ye not that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. 
This is his providence. Look at Psalm 145. Oh, he's so good. He's so faithful. Every man should think to himself, I'm the most blessed man on earth. And if you say to me, but I've got problems, then come to me and let's see if we can't make a T account for you and come up with more blessings than you have problems. Amen. We'll sing count your many blessings in a minute then. Uh, And I'm not asking for that. I'm just saying there's so many blessings. We should all know that the providence of God is good. He has filled our hearts with food and gladness. Verse 15 of Psalm 145. Some of you love this psalm. We had it read and explained to us by a young man a few weeks ago. The eyes of all wait upon thee. In verse 15, and thou givest them their meat in due season. That's providence. Thou openest thine hand and satisfiest the desire of every living thing. Praise his name. 1 Timothy 4.10 says that God is the Savior of all men. In what sense is he the Savior of all men since most men are going to end up in hell? This sense, the providential sense. That's how 1 Timothy 4.10 has been understood by our fathers, and that's how it makes sense. God, The living God is the Savior of all men, especially of them that believe. See, there he pulls apart the righteous from the wicked, but he is the Savior of them all because he saves us by sending rain. Because if he withheld rain for a year or two, there wouldn't be anyone left. And he does everything in good order, and every living creature is satisfied from his hand. And so we want to see that providence spread everywhere toward all, all creatures. The young lions roar and seek their meat from the zookeeper. The young lions roar and seek their meat from PETA protection. The young lions roar and seek their meat from God, the Bible tells us. Even the young lion with young vigor and strength of a lion, the instinctive skill to track down and kill prey gets his food from God because God is the Savior of all men in that sense of the word. Oh, brethren, but but his providence is greatest for his saints. Oh, does he get involved in our lives. My father's from Pennsylvania. My mother's from Canada. My wife's parents are from the coal mining country of Virginia. Now, how are we going to ever meet? Young man, I like what you said, and I want to tell you a secret. I don't think anyone else can hear us right now. Your father-in-law liked what you said also. I don't think he can hear me. When you said God made Anna perfectly for you, that is a particular little point that he likes a lot. That when the Bible says God made Eve to be a help, Meat for Adam. Every one of our wives were uniquely created to be helps meat for us. Because each of us needs a little different kind of a wife. And meat means appropriate, suitable, or fit. And you said that in this pulpit. Good job. I don't think he heard me. Are you happy, Brother Jeff? Thank you. It's so wonderful. His providence in our lives. I look around this church and see how how some of you, every I know how you got connected together. 
And it's by God's grace and His glory, His involvement in our lives. Look at Genesis 45 with me. Let's delight in His providence for a few more minutes before we go home and live it out by loving Him and seeking Him and calling upon Him. Genesis 45, 5. His providence. There's only one being that knew there was going to be a severe famine that was going to ravage the south side of the Mediterranean Sea. Who was that? Our God. It wasn't the weatherman. The Doppler in Tel Aviv didn't work back then. It was the Lord God. Now we've got a family of brothers, and their father wasn't a very good father. But he's one of the faithful. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob wasn't a very good father. His sons were a mess. However, those ten boys picked on their little brother Joseph because Joseph was a goodly young man. And he went down into Egypt, and you know the whole story. But what we're trying to look for is our God as He reveals Himself to us by His providence. We want to know something about God. When, when things are going bad in our lives and people don't like us and my brothers don't like us, don't like me. Is there a verse in the Bible that, that many people lay hold of? It's found in the 8th of Romans. It's about the 28th verse. For we know that all things work together for good to them that know God, to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. Let's look at that played out in the pages of Scripture. Right. And this is how we should look at Scripture. Right. Here's Joseph speaking to his brothers years later after they sold him into slavery. Verse 5, Now therefore be not grieved, boys. Now therefore be not grieved, nor angry with yourselves that ye sold me hither, for God did send me before you to preserve life. Amen. He's forgiven them, and He's telling them, forget it. It's not worth remembering it. Look at what God's done in the deal. Forget what you did. We know, you know, I know, you hated me. And you sold me into slavery, but that doesn't matter because look what God did with your hatred. He's keeping us all alive in the best part of Egypt. And how did you ride down here, boys? Did, did, did Pharaoh send his Cadillacs for you guys? Did you all come down here in Escalades? Yeah, the sweetest ride I've ever had. Because Pharaoh sent his wagons. Right to bring Joseph's family down. How did all that happen? Because God is able to turn providentially evil into good. Look at 50 in verse 20. That doesn't mean we sin for God to do good. Let us do evil that good may come. That's Romans chapter 3, and Paul says about that, God forbid. Look at Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20. But as for you, I don't know who you are that might be hearing my voice right now and are thinking I've got something against me and it's just not going as well as it should. Remember this about God's providence. But as for you, brothers, I'm, I'm adding words once in a while to help you understand the context without taking the time to read the chapter. This is Joseph speaking to his brethren. But as for you, ye thought evil against me. But God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day, to save much people alive. Now therefore fear ye not. I know dad's dead and I could cut your heads off, but don't you be afraid. I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spake kindly unto them. Amen. That is a family 
that though, though they had some bad times in their early years, they ended their lives together. And those are the fathers of the twelve tribes of Israel. But notice, God meant it unto good. A man can sin, and he's responsible for that sin before God because he's violating the revealed will of God. But God in His secret will can have a use for that sin by that man to accomplish good in another way that that person doesn't even think about or know about. And though those brothers sinned, and God holds them accountable for what they did to Joseph, God used their sin for good. They meant it for evil, so they were sinners. So we have the responsibility of the creature and the sovereignty of the Creator, and it's part of His providential dealings in our lives. And it's wonderful. Praise His name. Joseph was so friendly. He embraced them, and the weeping was so serious. He had problems in the palace of Pharaoh because he was crying so much. And Brother David Nye, when Jacob... When Jacob was sitting in his rocking chair with an oxygen hose at his nose, and the brothers came back from their first visit and came in and said, Joseph is alive. It said he believed them not. And at that moment, that moment ought to tear you up. Hollywood can't touch it. He loved Joseph so much, and he lost his favorite son because that son was righteous, and he deserved to be the favorite son. He wasn't the favorite son. He wasn't righteous because he was the favorite son. He was the favorite son because he was righteous. The brothers come in and stand before their dad. Joseph's alive. Not only is he alive, he's the ruler of Egypt. And and Jacob fainted, but they helped him up. I'm making up some of this. Please, this isn't the message that I'm preaching, preaching from. It's a King James Bible. But he goes over the window and he looks out. And there's wagons. There is, an, there is a line coming out of Egypt, of all the good stuff of Egypt, from his boy Joseph. And Joseph has said, come down into Egypt. He wants to receive you. That is the providence of God. Amen. A man went and borrowed 50 bucks and drove to Ipsituckee, Michigan, known as Ypsilanti on a map, because there were auto plants there to get a job. And he brought in his loins, my wife. And I thank God for that. I had a father who went into the ministry, though he was born in Pennsylvania, trained in Indiana and New York, pastored his first churches in Michigan. And so we ended up being together. And she's my wife. And every one of you in here can do the same thing. Praise his name. His providence is all around us. Ruth comes out of Moab. She's a Moabitess. The Israelites despise the Moabites. She's a widow. Her her mother-in-law is a widow. What's she going to do? She's going to glean. So she's practicing godliness. She's diligent. She's the only virtuous woman named so in the Bible. She's not the only virtuous woman, but the only one said so. She goes out to glean. What is God's providence for her that day? She haps. On the field of Boaz. And Boaz comes at lunchtime and, hey boys, who's that down there? She looks pretty good. Well, that's that's Ruth the Moabitess. She's come home with Naomi. Oh, the virtuous one they're talking about, huh? And you know what comes out of that? 
David. They had a boy named Obed. Obed had a boy named Jesse. Jesse had a boy named David. Ruth the Moabitess is the great-grandmother of David and of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's by the providence of God. Look around and see his providence. Why was Esther so pretty? Because she saved her entire nation because she was pretty. She lost her parents, and that's a horrible grief to a little girl. But God gave her a gift, and I want you to, re- I want you to th- remember that ostrich. I want you to remember Esther. I want you to remember Joseph. His father loved him. His brothers hated him. God used him for good because he was a righteous young man. And if you'll be a righteous young man, none of you in here can even define what God is able to do with your life if you'll be faithful to him right. and love him first. Esther saved her nation. Mordecai, did Mordecai happen to be at the right place at the right time to hear about a conspiracy against the king Ahasuerus? Right. Is that the providence of God? What did I just hear? A conspiracy to assassinate the king of Persia? Did that come back to serve him well later? Quite well. Thank you, Lord. We bless and praise your holy name. Did David happen in the battlefield right at the appropriate time to hear the blaspheming Philistine? And his response was, is there not a cause? And the cause was higher than even David knew. God had arranged that whole thing to exalt his little boy that was out keeping sheep next to the throne of Israel by defeating the champion of the Philistines. You don't know what giant the Lord's going to bring in front of you but are you, are you seeking his face? Do you delight in him? Do you trust his providence? He's going to take care of you. Ahab thought that he could get away from the providence of God this way. Remember, he had a few hundred prophets of the groves, and there was only one prophet of God. His name was Micaiah or Micaiah. And Ahab says, Jehoshaphat, why don't you dress like me when we go out to battle, and I'm going to disguise myself because this man says, I'm going to die today. This is all in the Bible. First Kings 22, you can read the whole account. Right. Now the providence of God has brought a message to the prophet telling Ahab, you're going to die today. Ahab says, well, we'll see about that. And Micaiah said, well, we'll see if you make it back from this battlefield. Mark my word. And so he disguises himself, and Jehoshaphat goes into battle as the king of Israel, and they're chasing, they're chasing Jehoshaphat around as he starts screaming because he's getting scared. Let's say, I'm not the guy. I'm not the guy. I'm not Ahab. So they left off Jehoshaphat and went. They couldn't find Ahab because he was dressed like a common soldier. So the Bible says that Assyrian drew a bow at a venture. Why not just fling an arrow at all those retreating Israelites? He just drew a bow at an arrow, a bow at a venture, and shot an arrow, and that arrow found a joint in the armor of Ahab, and he died in the battlefield. According to the word of the prophet. Because the providence of God is going to defend his word. The providence of God is going to bless the righteous. The providence of God is going to punish the wicked in the long run. If you measure things by the short run, you're going to mismeasure. Measure them in the long run. The Lord is good. He's so good. You know, David and Bathsheba sinned horribly. Aggravated adultery, aggravated murder, murdering his friend, taking a friend's wife when he had a whole harem of wives. And that's how the Lord reasoned with him by the prophet Nathan. The Lord took that little child, their first child. But God comforted that couple as well. Because David went in 
after resolving that matter before the Lord and worshiping the Lord and delighting in Him, he went in and comforted Bathsheba. And he knew Bathsheba again, and she brought forth a young man that is named in the Bible by God, Jedediah. Because the Lord loved him. And that was Solomon. Out of all of David's wives, the noble and wise Abigail passed over. You can sin and you can repent and God can have mercy upon you. There's great hope in the gospel for sinners. Jesus loves losers. Jesus loves the Mary Magdalene's. He loves the Peters. He loves the Davids. And so we can see in the providence of God, as we look at David and Bathsheba, we would think, because we don't know how to forgive, she should be barren the rest of her life. That's how we think. And that's why the Bible says when it comes to forgiveness, His ways and His thoughts are higher than our ways and thoughts, as the heaven is above the earth. Amen. Look at Psalm 40. Psalm 40, just in general, about providence. What are you thankful for? Has the Lord led you to a decent employer? How did that happen? Do you think it's your smartness? Your smarts? Their smarts? I got to tell the story this week again about Eric Carnell thinking that he had seen Bathsheba when BB&T offered him a job that required relocating. And when he called and told me that he was going to throw it in the trash because he was going to seek the kingdom of God first in his life, I said, you may not know it, but I live next door to the president of BB&T for this part of the Carolinas. So don't do that yet. And the Lord is merciful. I think he's still working for BB&T. Praise the Lord. What providential dealings. Do you remember how bare it was in those days of responses to your emails? Management development program right off the bat. We want you to be one of our fair-haired boys. That was wonderful. Praise the Lord. Let's I could do that with every... Where do you want me to go? I know every one of you that way. The Lord's been so good to us. Praise Him. Thank Him. Look at you, Jeff. You know I can go everywhere. It's just wonderful. Psalm 40 and verse 5. Many. Do you believe this? Do you tell them? Do you tell anyone else? Many, O Lord my God, are thy wonderful works which thou hast done, and thy thoughts which are to usward. They cannot be reckoned up in order unto thee. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. Is that how you feel about your life? We can't get everything in order. We can't number them all. There's so many things he has done. Praise be to his glorious name. This God, this infinite, incomprehensible, invisible, immutable, immortal, omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent, independent, eternal God is knowable. And He has a set of attributes called His declarative attributes, His creation, His his knowable aspects, His providence, witness of Him every day in our lives. Give Him glory, thank Him, praise Him, delight in Him, but most of all, let's go out of here and obey Him with our lives and call upon him and he will say, here I am. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word.